Friends, would you please turn to Romans chapter 14. And if you are looking in a pew Bible, it's page 948. Romans chapter 14, and once you have it, you may stand for the reading of God's word. Hear these words. As for one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One who believes he may eat anything while the weak one eats only vegetables. Or, sorry, one believes he may eat anything while a weak person may eat only vegetables. Let, let, <laughs> let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? For it is before his own masters that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes a day, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to, to God. None of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow, before, bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. One of the most glorious and at times messiest times of my life have been involved in deep gospel-driven friendships. Most beautiful times. The times where I just sit back and I laugh and I long for those times and you just, you almost crave for that yesteryear when all these things, do you remember when we, and how this and all that? But also, it has been some of the most messy times of my life. Tim Keller says in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, that the point of marriage is this, and I quote, for helping each other to become our future glory selves, the new creations that God is making us. And I think the same principle is true for Christian friendships, that we are, are helping each other become our future glory selves as God has originally tended, intended for us. A healthy, Christ-centered friendship helps us to draw each other 
closer to Jesus, to become more and more like the person that he wants us to be someday. But these friendships aren't easy. They aren't cheap. They reach beyond our sharing our shared hobbies and interests. They're, they go beyond our play dates with friends. They go beyond commenting and liking our, fri- our friends' Facebook pictures and status updates. Even though those things can help foster some kind of friendship on some kind of cheap level, Christian friendship is far deeper than that. These deeper friendships require more taking initiative to love, more time to love and to serve each other, more about opening up your life to another person, warts and all, spurring each other on to holiness and more pure living, and yes, insert gulp, working through conflict the right way. Conflict in Christian relationships. How many people love conflict? That's about right. And those of you that do, everybody else, please notice. Avoid such persons. The one who loves conflict. We have a lot of baggage when it comes to handling conflict, don't we? This is how some of us handle it. We, we go silent and we stifle conversations. We, we are all about holding in until what happens? The great explosion. We, we give indirect comments or give subtle hints about how we really feel with never saying it openly. Some of us are all about forcing our viewpoints, aren't we? Whatever I feel is going to come out. We're more about truth than love. We call names or we put people into labels because of how we feel. We publicly or even privately assassinate people. We use sarcastic or quick-cutting remarks. And often we don't do it in person. So as we look at Romans chapter 11, where Paul is coming off the the glories of the gospel, and he is basically caught up in this doxological moment for from him and to him and through him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Therefore, brothers, offer yourself as living sacrifices. Because why? Because this is your act of spiritual worship. Paul is now saying, listen, offer your whole selves. Lord, I'm yours. Use me, change me, lead me, do whatever you need. Lord, here I am. And now Paul is, after in verse uh, chapter 13, is saying, listen, but there's a way that we do this. We honor one another. We give what is due to each other because we are all image bearers. Love each other. And we talked about that last week. Love each other. And now we're going to be looking at In a covenant community, the reality is that we're broken people trying to make our way in a broken world in light of the gospel. Being made right with God 
not just changes me positionally before God. It changes the way that I view myself. It changes the way that the way that I treat other people. So Paul moves from this righteousness by faith to a righteousness through love. This morning, Paul's aim in Romans chapter 14, and we're going to also see it in Romans chapter 15, Paul's aim is to help the church in Rome understand how do you live out the gospel, the realities, the implications of the gospel, especially especially in relationship in the context of a church that is filled with people who have different opinions and different backgrounds. How do we live it out? He wanted, he wanted to help them see that the gospel not only affects their right standing before God, but it also directly impacts how they handle disagreements. The key verse in really kind of Paul's target is found in Romans 15, verses 5 to 7. So if you have your Bibles open, you can kind of highlight, circle, put little brackets around it. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with each other, one another in accord with Christ Jesus that you may with, what does it say? One voice. One voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. The biblical vision for the church is to be a place, friends, of grace people. Grace people who treat each other with such grace. That is the vision for the church, to be grace people who treat each other with such grace. One church should be marked with extravagant grace. We want the flavor and the tone and the culture of this church to be marked with a convictional commitment to the gospel, right? We want to be marked by a commitment to the gospel, to Christ alone, for his kingdom, his glory, his reign. And we want a convictional commitment to the full, to be full of grace, full of grace towards one another. So not only fully committed to Christ and his kingdom and his kingdom of grace and mercy, but also that commitment to grace is also going to be committed, fully committed to one another. When this works, when this is actually happening, the church is an amazing place, a vivid picture of what the gospel can do and what heaven is actually like. So to help us understand, Paul gives us three things in these two chapters. The first theme is found in verses 1 through 12 of chapter 14. And that theme is differences do not need to create divisions. I wish that we could understand that a little bit better, right? Differences do not need to create divisions. The second 
theme is found in, we'll cover this next week, in 13 through 23. Differences can be worked out through love for one another. And then chapter 15. Christ-likeness actually creates unity in diversity. So Romans 14 and 15 are helpful chapters because within our church, we have a wide diversity of opinions on a lot of different subjects. If, you, if we get into some really honest conversations, I mean honest, not like uh, just over a cup of coffee, but we really sit down and we just get into each other's lives, we're going to start shedding off some of those layers and we're going to really start being honest about what we feel and what we think and our experiences and how that has flavored the different things. It might even open up some of the divisions or the, uh, the differences that could create sinful divisions and responses. For, exam- for example, here's just a few that uh, I think that could actually come to the foreground. I, I think that, well, let, let's not get ahead on that. Here, here, let, let me start. First, we've got to remember that, that far more sin is created in our church and in the church with a big C, the universal church, from how we discuss issues, right? Privately and publicly, than from probably anything else. You, you look on the, the internet, on Facebook, the Twitter sphere, and you are going to see how the, the diversity of opinions creates a lot of fractions and factions in the church. So looking carefully at these principles helps us to think in ways that will really help us navigate how do we disagree on subjects? How do we handle these things? Because as long as the church is filled with people, which it will always be, and as long as those people come from different backgrounds and different experiences and different histories, there will be, friends, disagreement. And any time you are part of a church where you don't sense there's any disagreement, that's called a cult. Get out. Yet the gathering of God's people as they worship him with one voice, is, is worth fighting for. Gospel-centered harmony. Gospel-centered harmony, while challenging, messy, and extremely difficult, friends, is worth fighting for. If Christ has actually welcomed us, we should welcome one another. Like chapter seven, uh, 15, verse 7 says, to the glory of God for the glory of God. So how do we do that? First off, a principle. We are to welcome one another despite our disagreements. Verse 1 serves not only as the beginning of Paul's argument, but actually kind of serves as a central theme for uh, chapters 14 and 15. Notice this theme, how this theme of welcoming appears in 14 verse 1 and 15 verse 7. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. But not to quarrel over opinions. Welcome him. And then 15, verse 7. Therefore, 
welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So this word welcome means more than what our hospitality team does when they hand you a bulletin and shake your hand. Okay, it goes well beyond that. It does. It's more than just friendliness. It's more than just acceptance. It's more than way more than toleration. It it denotes a, a relationship where a person is welcomed into one's friendship and into one's heart. And I know some of our hearts are really uh, kind of like a, a vault, right? It, you know what I mean. Some of you have been hurt and challenged, your heart becomes like a vault. But this word denotes where you are actually welcoming people into your heart. It implies a warmth and a kindness associated with a genuine, heartfelt kind of love. To welcome is to lovingly embrace. And Jesus uses this exact same word in John 14, verse 3, when he says this, and, it, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. So in other words, I will come again, and I will welcome you. I'll take you into my heart. Where I am, there you are going to be. So this term, Welcome means something special. It's an outward expression of love for another person, the kind of love you would have for a dear family member or a lifelong friend. What makes these relationships so unique, so special? It is the fact that there is something more foundational than circumstances, more foundational than location, more foundational than, uh, more functional than your circumstances. It's, it's, it is something beautiful and dynamic that is going on here. There is a unique and special bond that binds you together to one another. The body of Christ is to be characterized by this kind of unique love for one another because of our common relationship with Christ. And because of our experience of the gospel, and our shared allegiance to Christ, whether you like it or not, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And that kind of blood runs deeper than your biological blood. I don't know if some of you believe that, but it's true. Just letting that sink in for a little bit, for those of you who are really into your family. The blood of Christ is deeper and richer and more profound than the blood that runs through your human veins. There's something greater than our differences, friends. And that's the gospel. That's where our allegiance is first found. That's where our identity is first found. So differences can lead to, to di a disagreement, and these can, can lead to divisiveness. A lack of love can lead people to no longer welcome one another. And when this happens, the gospel message actually suffers. 
So these chapters are more than, than uh, just how to help people get along. These chapters are about the beauty and the credibility of the gospel. The beauty and the credibility. How we love another, one another adds credibility to something that is already credible. Do you believe that? So the way that we interact as a family adds credibility to the most credible thing out there. So keep in mind the next time that there is a conflict between you and another believer that the gospel is credible. And the way that you work out your differences adds credibility to the most credible thing out there. Keep in mind that in mind the next time that you are tempted to be critical, to be defensive, to be judgmental. Remember that underneath all the differences out there is the gospel and that there is a call to love one another. Remember that how you treat people in disagreements and differences says something about the gospel. Welcome one another. How? As Christ has welcomed you. So that's the principle. But... That sounds really good up here, right? But there's a problem. There's a problem. The problem is this. Sinfully responding to weak brothers is the problem. So welcoming is ultimately the goal. Opening our hearts and welcoming people into our hearts is, is ultimately the goal. But the problem relates to three issues. First one is a person who is weak in the faith. Second is, there's, there's quarreling over opinions. And third, the sinful responses on both, both sides. What does it mean to be weak in the faith? This is a very important question because I have seen this misused and abused all the time. Without understanding this issue, Someone could use the phrase stumbling block, that argument, to overly restrict the legitimate freedom some Christians can have in issues that Paul would have never intended to be applied. So let me give you some thoughts on what's happening here in the Roman church. First, according to verses 2 and 5, the issue surfaced as it's related to dietary restrictions and the observance of certain days over or festivals. So there's something going on about food and which days that you would observe as holy or special or set aside. So that's the first thing. So from that, some people in the church had chosen not to eat or not to drink, not to drink certain things, wine, or eat certain kinds of meat, while others saw absolutely no problem whatsoever in their eating and their drinking. So some were restrictive, and some used it, had fun with their freedom. They enjoyed a great Pinot Noir and their, their filet mignon, bacon wrap, and others said, never. That is not allowed. And Paul calls, actually, the non-meat eaters and the non-wine drinkers, what? He called them weak. 
And he calls those who have no issue with meat or wine as strong. So the essential, the, the, the issues are classified by Paul as opinions. These are opinions. And not, the, and not an essential issue at all. Since both groups are said to honor the Lord in their actions. So it, it's not a clear sin issue. It's not sinful. It could not be sinful, but it could be sinful. It has that possibility. But festivals and meat and wine are not necessarily wrong. The motives of both groups are equally commended by Paul. But given Paul's tone as it relates to both sides, it is clear that we are not talking about a problem of legalism like he addressed in Galatians or uh, in Galatians 1 and Galatians 5. It's, he's not talking about being legalistic. The issue is, is not an outright distortion of the gospel itself that you do this and you're saved or you don't do this and you're not saved. Paul's language in Galatians was very direct and it was not accommodating in any way. Oh, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? That's not very accommodating language. The issue is slightly different than what Paul even addressed in uh, 1 Corinthians 8 and 10, where the church was wrestling with the issue of, of meat being offered to pagan idols. Paul uses the same principles as he does in Romans 14 and 15, but the issue is different here. So it's not even that. So if we put it all together, it seems that the weaker brother was likely a Jewish Christian who still chose to avoid certain foods and observe certain holidays out of a sense of loyalty to the Mosaic law and his religious heritage. The weaker brother is weak in faith. He's weak in faith. There is something related to his faith that still needs to be developed. He seems to have thought that righteousness was somehow still collected, connected to clean or unclean foods. And the weaker brother is still having a hard time thinking about obedience through the gospel here. And it is a serious and emotional, emotional enough that for some of them that they were grieved and they were even destroyed over this issue as they were wrestling as in their immaturity. They're trying to figure it out. The weak person seems to be placing too much emphasis on food and festivals. And Paul compassionately and gently wants the weaker brother to know it's just food. You can almost hear him saying, guys, it's just food. It's just wine. It's just food. It's just wine. He wants them not to make a bigger deal about it than what they really should be making. He, and we're going to see next week what he's, that he says the exact same thing to the strong, but for a whole lot of different other reasons. He cautions the strong about being inconsiderate in their freedom and reminding them that, hey, dude, it's just food. It's just wine. Don't be inconsiderate. So in this text and others, Paul is modeling a very critical aspect of wise gospel living. 
He's engaging in what some people call theological triage. Theological triage. Fill, fill up the first one. So first, there's, there's kind of these things that are called absolutes. And in these absolutes, this is the essence of the Christian life. You must believe these things in order to be a Christian. These are absolutely true and absolutely necessary. Example would be the deity of Jesus Christ. You cannot be a Christian if you do not believe that Jesus was God. That is absolute. Period. But then there's that next layer. And that next layer is convictions. Convictions are strongly held scriptural beliefs that have a significant impact on the health and the effectiveness of the church. Church denominations and doctrinal statements for a local church include absolutes and are convictions. An example would be believer's baptism, infant baptism. Are those things absolutes? Nah, no. Some make it. Some put it in the absolute. But these are convictions. Next is preferences. Preferences are less clear issues that are often the application of particular passage and passages, and some preferences are more rooted in Scripture than others. An example for a preference could be a whole list of things. It, it, could, it could include things like um, whether you can uh, drink wine. Some of you are going, oh, that's, that's an issue? Yeah. Dancing. I grew, I grew up in a culture where you don't dance because you know what dancing led to? <laughs> Sex. <laughs> we, we, we don't dance. We don't, we don't drink wine. And, and there, there's also, in, in this preferential area, believe it or not, voting Republican or Democrat. I know, it's not an absolute. <laughs> Ryan, it's not an absolute. <laughs> so liberalism is taking an absolute and treating it like it's a, like it's a preference. And while pre uh, li legalism is taking a preference and treating it like it's a an absolute. Most, most are terrible mistakes that have awful consequences. So it's important that we get things right. And Paul is working through some spiritual and he's working through some emotional challenges of seeing something that used to define him uh, and his community and it was starting to become more and more important. And Paul is saying, listen, let's not reorder the categories because that can be traumatic and that can be uh, painful and it can distort the gospel. So the two most common issues are identified for us in verse 3, right? The weak and strong have very different temptations. Let not the one who, who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. 
before God has welcomed him. The two sins are issues are despising and judging one another. Both are rooted in pride. The, the stronger brother, who is less restrictive in his actions, can be tempted to despise or look down on the one who abstains, right? Or And, and he can view the, the weaker brother as morally inferior. You just don't get it. I am so beyond that. And morally inferior. They're uninformed. Or maybe they're even stuck in their old ways. This, this one, the strong brother, can be, viewed with, uh, can be viewed with contempt and disdain instead of with patience and compassion. While the weaker brother, who is more restrictive in his or her actions, can be equally tempted. He's, he is more likely to be guilty of a judgmental spirit Jared, you're really, you're drinking wine in public? Man. And he could consider him or herself to be superior or more spiritual than because of his restrictive lifestyle. Do you see how much better I am? I hold off. Shame on me. The weaker brother could be tempted to treat the older brother as if he is spiritually careless. He was needlessly unwise and just simply worldly. The weaker brother could use his restrictions as a self-proclaimed marker that he is more spiritual than the other. Can you see how quickly this pride can be devastating? So Paul wants to remind us about the centrality of the gospel and their call to love one another despite differences. So the goal of welcoming one another in love, in view, with love in view, and with, with an understanding of the potential sins in play, Paul provides us with rationale, a rationale of why followers of Jesus should live this way. He doesn't just say, it's only food. It, it, it's your brother in Christ. Stop being sinful. He doesn't say that. Paul actually provides some biblical and theological rationale to add weight to what he's saying. He is going to cut through the emotion that is so prevalent in these situations and give us some biblical guidance. And how do we, how do we think and how do we act? In other words, when you are faced with disagreements here, and with other brothers and sisters who are in Christ, and sin starts to emerge and bubble up because it will, remember this. Here's the first thing. According to verse 4, Jesus is Lord, not you. Keep that in mind. Jesus is Lord, not you. It, it, it's this, this first point is simply a reminder that a person, uh, that the person on whom you are tempted to pass judgment is simply a servant of Christ. A servant of Christ. Prepositions are important. Of Christ. Positively, this means that the Lordship of Christ rele releases us all 
from the need to feel like it is up to us to determine what others should do or should not do. This issue belongs to Jesus because he is Lord. Negatively, this means that we need to remember who we are and try not to grab authority that does not belong to us. Additionally, Paul reminds the weak brothers that the strong brothers are not going to stand before them on Judgment Day. They're going to stand before God on Judgment Day. They will stand before Christ, so the final authority for our actions in this life is the issue for Jesus to settle and determine, and it is by the power of Jesus that they will stand before him. The Lord is able to make him stand. He will have to answer. But here's the second thing. Verse 5 identifies that two people can consider an issue very differently in their heart and their mind. They can look at things different, things that are not absolute. You can look at very differently. One person esteems one day as better than the other, while the other esteems all days as alike. That's kind of a problem, isn't it? <laughs> it kind of, we, we're living in this tension. We like black and white. Tell me, is that right or is that wrong? Should we do this? Should we not do that? Tell me, Paul, and I've had many conversations. Is this right or is this wrong? Hmm, that's a great question. Who is right? And the answer is, it depends. It depends. The issue is, is bigger than just days or agreements. The issue, unlike clear moral issues and clear teachings from the Bible, rests on a matter of your conscience. In other words, obedience on some things is not just a matter of right and wrong based on an external code of conduct. There are times when right or wrong depends on what you personally believe. What are your convictions? What do you understand? How you are reading scripture. And that is why Paul says each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Being fully convinced is a personal issue. But even some of these fully convinced issues should be held loosely. He goes on to say the third thing, and the third thing is that both parties, believe it or not, can honor God. And the reason is beautiful. Paul wants the wing, weaker and the stronger to both to know that both of them are honoring God. No one is fundamentally being sinful in what they are doing or what they are eating or what they are not eating or what they are drinking or what they are not drinking or what festival they're going to or what they're not festival they're not going to. However, what the real issue is how we treat one another. Because how we treat one another can, can certainly and quickly become sinful. The commonality between the two positions is that both honor the Lord because both give thanks to God. 
This highlights an important test related to the conscience issue for you. In eating this or drinking this or participating in this day, can I do this unto the Lord? Can, Can I enjoy this before the Lord in good conscience? Paul uses the same test in 1 Corinthians 10. He says this, If I partake of thankfulness, why am I denounced because of, of that for which I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So the key is realizing that two people can see an issue very differently. Both can honor God and both can give thanks to God, yet they differ on whether they can participate and glorify God. Ask yourself, am I able to give thanks for this? Can I glorify Him as I am doing this? If the answer is yes, praise be to God. If the answer is no, Praise be to God. But that leads us to the fourth conviction. In verses 7 through 9, Paul connects how we live to the fact that believers belong to Jesus. He's trying to help us to avoid disconnecting the gospel and Christ's victory from living in freedom every single day. One of the ways that, that gospel freedom can be compromised and diminished is by a sense of judgment from other people. It's not hard to be more motivated by others, by what others will think of you, than what Jesus thinks about you. And opinion issues create a situation ripe for forgetting that Jesus purchased our freedom, not just for the future, but for now. And Paul elevates how we we are to view our daily lives. And in verse 7, he says that we don't eat, live, or die as unto ourselves. No, that's not how this works. There's something or someone more than ourselves involved in regard to how we live. In verse 8, he, he says very clearly that the other thing is Jesus. We live and die to the Lord because we belong to the Lord. And then in verse 9, it grounds all this into the very purpose of Jesus' death and resurrection. In other words, Christianity is not just about our future. It is about how we live today, how we live now. We live and we belong for Jesus right now. And ultimately, it brings us to the last piece. God is the final judge. That's hard for us, right? I'd prefer to be the judge. No, no. Stay in your lane. God is the final judge. Paul ends with a a warning about judging a brother when he will ultimately stand before God and give an account for his life to him. It's interesting to note that, that once again, Paul speaks to both the weaker and the the stronger brother. He asks the weak, 
Why do you pass judgment on your brother? And he asked the strong, why do you despise your brother? Both parties are pointed towards the day where a future account will be given. And Paul quotes Isaiah 45 to emphasize the very scope of God's jurisdiction. Every knee and every tongue. Every knee and every tongue. No one will be left out. Every single person is going to stand before God. Paul Room, stay in your lane. You are not the judge and you are not the jury. And verse 12 affirms this by saying, So then, each one of us will give an account to God himself. The responsibility for choices rests between the individual and God. And for some of you, this is driving you up a wall, isn't it? Because you're trying to figure out, so what is in the convictional, and what's in the preference, and where can I really judge people? Because I really want to know. Right? Because you're going, man, this, this is hard work. I, I, I Just give me the list. Would you give me the list of where I can start judging my neighbor? So here's the deal. We are called to treat one another with grace and love as brothers and sisters, no matter whether they are the weaker brother or the stronger brother, where they stand on some of these issues. The beauty of the gospel is that the body of Christ is compromised uh, of, of people who have experienced the grace of God. Did I say compromised? Comprised of. That kind of compromises the gospel. You've broken that. Uh, the church is comprised of men and women who have experienced the grace of God. And, and because of that, and because of your different backgrounds, because you're different places in maturity, because of the grace of God, you see things differently. But we see thing, people first through the lens of the gospel. That is important. So brothers and sisters, let's keep the gospel and brotherly love central. That doesn't mean that we say, ah, well, that's a secondary issue, or that's a third level issue, that's really not important. No, those are all important, and we should wrestle through it. But the question is, how do we do it? How do we respect each other on these issues that are not salvific issues? How do we do that? How do we, how do we love one another when it's difficult? I'll tell you how. It takes wisdom. It takes time. And it takes discernment. But that hard work is worth it. That hard work is worth it because at the end of the day, the church is most lovely despite all of our differences when we are able with, to, with one voice, with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ.
friends, as Scripture says, let us welcome one another since Christ has welcomed us. Father God, help us to figure out what this means to love one another in a world where nothing seems to be clear. But Lord, you have said that if any of us lacks wisdom, we simply are to ask for it, and you will give it to us. And you have given it to us in your word. Help us to be people who are like the the early Bereans who poured over Scripture to discern your will and how you work. Lord, may we be the kind of people that are humble and not prideful, that we are not judgmental, but we are gracious and kind. May we welcome each other into our hearts as you have welcomed us. And we pray this in Jesus' name.
Brothers, let us come together, walking in the Spirit. There's much to be done. We will come reaching out from our comfort, and they will know us by our love. Sisters, we were made for kindness. We can pierce the darkness as he shines through us. We will come reaching with a song of healing. And they will know us by our love. The time is now. Come church Children, you are hope for justice. Stand firm in the truth now. Set your hearts above. You will be reaching long after we're gone. And they will know you by your love. The time is now. Come church give life. 